Welcome, welcome to City Beautiful Church. My name is Ryan. Uh, I'm pastor here, and uh, today's really kind of an exciting day because uh, I get to have one of my favorite people in the world join me on stage, Mark Vandervene. Everyone, give him a round of applause. Uh, so, Mark's been a member of our community for a long time, and um, currently he's leading a group called Entwine, which he's going to be talking about a little bit later today. But um, you know, a lot of what we talk about in our church community is this pursuit of, of intimacy with God, and that we believe that we're to have real living relationship with God as he really is today. And Mark so beautifully demonstrates that in his life, in this pursuit, and this hunger for really the knowing the Lord as he really is. And he's been able to influence so many people in our community on that same line of, uh, of pursuit of God. And so um, I just really felt like you know, in this series that we're doing, In Search of the Beloved, you know, we're talking about God's pursuit of us and our pursuit of God, and we're using um, the Gospel of John to, to, to really examine that. And we, I came across John 4, what we're going to be looking at today, and I just felt like this is such the perfect opportunity for, um, for Mark to come in uh, and just to share with us. So we're going to be talking today um, about John chapter 4. So let's, uh, let's pray, and we'll just dive right in. How about you pray for us? I would love to pray. Yeah. God, thank you so much for another beautiful day. God, thank you for a day that's not promised to us, that we get to experience life and joy and, and your glory in every moment of today. Um, yeah, I just pray, God, that you would so powerfully move through Ryan and I today as we're just sharing your word, as we're just sharing what you've told us that we're speaking what you've spoken to us, God. And so I just pray that your spirit would move and that hearts would be receptive and that the soil would be ready to just like have those seeds planted, your water to just like pour out and grow those, those roots and, and the things that you have for us to learn. So we just bless you, God, and I just bless everyone in here and pray that after today that there's so much joy in everyone's hearts that they just walk out just knowing fully who they are and are in so present in their identities with you, God. And so we just thank you, and we love you, and we bless you. Amen. Amen. Um, so we're going to be looking at John 4 and two specific stories in this chapter. Uh, and we're going to asking this question at this point in the story of Jesus. What is it that really gives us life? Like, where do we, when we go back to that Genesis story, we see so much of Genesis echoed in John. We see that, 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 that ever-present decision before us. Do you want the tree of life or do you want the tree of knowledge and good and evil? Do you want to find your identity in who God says you are and it's in relationship with him that you find life or do you want to attempt to do it on your own to create your own categories of right and wrong and good and bad? Um, and so we're going to see those kind of play out here. But when we're asking these two questions, what gives us life, looking at John 4, we're going to be looking at these two things. Um, number one, it's connection with God through relationship. And number two, it's obedience to God in action. And I love that in this chapter, John uses the language of living water and then spiritual food. And that's what we're going to be really looking at today. So just kind of, you know, as uh, up front as the kind of the, the punchline, seeing that when Jesus is our living wellspring, when Jesus is uh, the living water, it's, it's his divinity that provides life for us. Um, but when we see Jesus eating of the spiritual food of obedience to his Father, it's Jesus' humanity that's showing us how we're meant to function. So we're going to start in the, the, the first half of this chapter looking at living water, which is the connection with God through relationship. This is going to be John chapter 4, um, kind of verses 1 through 26 are this part of the story. Um, so what we've seen so far is Jesus time and again interacting with different people. Um, first in, in calling in his disciples, and then last week we looked at him um, interacting with Nicodemus, who's this part of the Pharisaic elite, is of the, the Jewish teaching council. And now we see uh, Jesus and his disciples crossing through um, a country called Samaria. And so we're going to jump in at verse four, 4 here. Um Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he's kind of taking the more direct route through this other country. So he came to a town called Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And what I have found so amazing time and again when we watch the interactions that Jesus has with people is that he's a challenging everyone else's assumption of how it's supposed to work. So we saw it with Nicodemus when it came to his, his religious attitudes of this is how the world works and this is what God is supposed to look like and this is who I'm being called to be. We saw it with his calling of the disciples that they didn't really think that they were the ones that were worth being called by him. And so now we see it with this Samaritan woman. And there's a lot going on here just below the surface. Number one, we've kind of got this ethnic divide that Samaritans are, they're kind of half-breeds. You know, you go back to the time of Nehemiah and Ezra, and these were the people that had had intermarried with, uh, with the Jewish people in the time, but then had been kind of cast out in this revival and this purging. And so Samaritans worshipped Yahweh, but they worshipped him in some different ways. Maybe you have those people in your life where it's like, it's almost more insulting that they're kind of like you than they're not like you at all. You know who I'm talking about? They're a little too close. They don't quite do it right, but they're not so different that you can just kind of dismiss them. That's what the Samaritans were like for the Jews. They were, they were an insulting people because they said that they worshipped the same God, but they did it the wrong way. Now, another interesting layer to this story is that Jesus is here at this well at noon. And one doesn't go to draw water at noon. You go earlier in the morning or you go later in the evening when it's kind of cool. So the fact that this woman is coming to to the well at at noon and is meeting Jesus there indicates something about not only her ethnicity, but her social standing within her village. That she has to go to this well when nobody else um, is going to be there. She's going when nobody else is going to show up. So we can already tell there's a little bit of a disconnection between her in her own community, that she's a little bit of a pariah. And so we're going to find out why in a little bit. And then finally, of course, that she's a woman. And in Jewish religious tradition, uh, a man was not to associate with a woman that was not of uh, his own wife. And so this woman is, what we're going to see, she's going to operate out of this status quo, that this is the way the world works. These are the social constructs of who's in and who's out, who has favor, who does not. These are the religious constructs of how we're supposed to go about doing things. These are the biological constructs of how we're supposed to interact with each other. And this is another beautiful example of how Jesus challenges the earthly assumptions that you and I have about who's in, who's out, how we're supposed to do life. And he introduces these heavenly perspectives that kind of rupture our understanding of things that end up keeping us from relationship with God. Um, so the next little section, so coming back to our true source means we must abandon other wells. And so that's, I'll read 10 through 15 real quick of John. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So one of the things that I love about um, verse 14 of like him talking about the water that she that he wants to give her um, is that I love the little part where it says welling up to eternal life. So that's like referencing our salvation. Like if we accept the living water, our forever our spirit will be forever satisfied because there's like we're immersed into this living well that will forever invite us into like. We won't have to outsource anything ever again spiritually. Like, we will forever be satisfied. But there's, like, a challenge to that because I think we, I get caught up sometimes of, like, oh, cool, satisfied. I don't have to do anything ever again. But it's, like, no. Like, our heart still needs to go to Jesus daily. Like, we still have to go to him every day to meet our needs, our heart needs, because we will outsource in so many different ways that our, our heart, what we need. And so I just want to share this little, um, so I think it was last week. Was it last week? Yeah, I think last week um, I just had this super 
profound realization that I stopped being like hungry for like the kingdom things. I stopped being hungry for heavenly things. Like stopped like being wild in worship. I stopped like praying over people. I stopped doing the things that I just so naturally did. And and I realized that hunger slash thirst was because I was outsourcing my my like heart needs. Like I was going to different things like Instagram, like scrolling through Instagram for like 10 minutes of just like, oh, mindless numbing. And then like relationships, different things to fill up my God tank, like what I needed Jesus for. And so realizing I hit that like slow decline of just like, oh my gosh, what happened? I'm not thirsty anymore. Like I need Jesus was so good that I like, I love that I hit that place because so many people just keep going and they don't ever realize that they hit a wall or they hit like, they don't ever realize that they're, they're come to the bottom of it. It's like, oh my gosh, I haven't even thirsted for Jesus. Like when was the last time I had quiet time? When was the last time I wanted to do any like of these awesome things that I used to do? And so since like I was back there like bawling my eyes out because I'm like, Jesus, like what happened? I just want you again. Like I want more of you. Like this sucks. Like, I don't want this to be the way. Like, I want to want you like I wanted before. And so I just, like, it was just such a sweet, like, breakdown in a sense of just, like, coming to myself, of realizing, like, oh, my gosh, I don't, I haven't been doing any of these things that filled me up before. And so that, for me, was, like, I forgot who my source was. And so in that, I forgot who my identity was. and realizing my identity like me i get so filled up by praying for people of like going out and doing outreach of like spending quiet time with the lord of like god who do you want me to pray for today or who do you want me to like prophesy over today and like that's a part of who god has called me to be and so forgetting to do that stuff i forgot who my source was because it was like this vicious kind of cycle of like oh i don't need quiet time oh who am i oh my gosh wait where what ugh. It's like you just hit this like freak out moment. Um, and so, yeah, I think I'm done. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's great. Like, so what we're, what we're talking about here in the Old Testament language is idolatry. You know, idolatry is something we don't always talk about in our modern culture because we don't, uh, we don't very specifically have these, you know, in the Old Testament, these big statues of like, you know, fish with legs that you would worship or, you know, seven horns and 18 feet or whatever. Like, we don't have those kinds of idols, but but we do still have idols in our modern culture. And, and an idol basically is when you're going to other things as your source, okay? So there's a very fine line here because we, we want to see um, the expression of our intimacy with God in everything that we participate in, that you and I, we have these amazing gifts we have these passions, we have these talents, we have these things that we do that we really love, um, but they're expressions of the fact that God is our true source, right? So when we, when we worship, um, when we go out and we, we, we use our hands to create amazing things, when we interact in relationships with people, those are all expressions of the fact that God is our true source. But you and I both know that very quickly we can forget that God is our source and we begin to look at those things as the source themselves. And that's when they become idols, is that they've actually replaced God as our true source. In Romans uh, chapter 1, Paul talks about it as they began to worship created things instead of the creator. Um, and we have that natural temptation today, but it's so imperative that we recognize that when, when, when God, as revealed in Jesus, is our source, when he is the well that we are drawing life from, everything else is set into its proper context, and those things also become life-giving, but it means that we have to abandon those wells that we've been going to um, to find our, our, our identity in. And so let's continue on the story. So, so the lady says, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. See, she's still thinking in those earthly status quo perspectives. And time and again, this is what we're seeing with Jesus is people respond out of what they see and what they sense. And Jesus keeps introducing this heavenly reality, these heavenly perspectives that kind of challenge those assumptions. And so it goes on in verse 16. He told her, go, call your husband uh, and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. 
The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. And then she does what all of us would probably do in that situation. She changes the subject. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. And they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And so worshiping in spirit and truth means we choose into relationship here and now. But that means that we have to flush out those stagnant waters that have been sitting in our well that we've been trying to find our source in. And so what are, what are the things that we often use to divert attention from this call to relationship with God as she does this? Religion is a really great way to stop talking about relationship with God. Amen? But it doesn't always have to be religion. Any kind of, you know, these theories or these social structures or philosophy, we, we do everything that we can to divert this call to relationship. And so Jesus touches this very sensitive place within this woman's life. And we're not sure if, you know, her husbands have died or if she's been divorced and remarried several times. Whatever the situation is, it's caused her to be a bit of a pariah in her own community. And so Jesus, it, the sensitivity of Jesus touches this very deep place within her, this very deep wounding within her. And she does what so many of us do. She turns it into concept. She goes, oh yeah, that's interesting that you know that. Anyway, how about the way that we worship? Isn't that crazy? Like you do it one way and we do it the other. And I love that Jesus doesn't rebuke that, but he says, no, no, let's bring it back to what we're really talking about here. That there's something within your life that's preventing you from encountering God, from having relationship with God as he really is today. Um, and so, you know, this woman diverts from her pain using these external um, issues. Uh, and, and I think the invitation is for us to see that same thing, that we can't confuse God with religion. We can't confuse God with uh, philosophy, with sociology, whatever it is, because those things in turn can also become idols because they keep us from really recognizing God as he is right in front of us in the face of Jesus. I think this is the really beautiful thing about what, this, what Jesus is calling this woman to recognize with worship in spirit and in truth. So a couple weeks ago, I was, I was just sitting in prayer. You know, as we've been doing this journey through John, I'm making sure that I'm taking time to really sit and allow the Lord to speak to me through this story. And as I was meditating on this, okay, Lord, what is worshiping in spirit and truth? He said, you know, it's not so much about geography because that's what she's arguing, whether it's in Jerusalem on this mountain or us on this mountain out here in Samaria. And he's saying, you know, in the time of Jesus, it's not going to be about where we're at geographically, how we've established borders and boundaries for what it looks like for us to worship. But now the new template for worship is in spirit and in truth. And I was, was thinking about that. I'm thinking, okay, worshiping God as he really is, Yahweh. Worshiping the like in spirit, like God's spirit within us, animating us, making us present to this very moment. And then worshiping in truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So even there, worship in spirit and truth, we have this Trinitarian God that we interact with even today. And it moves us away, again, from those earthly standards of what worship is supposed to look like to being about in the present moment through the spirit of God but allowing Jesus as the truth of God to give us direction, to point us where it is that we're supposed to go in our worship. And so this is kind of the, the conclusion for the living water piece. When Jesus is the living wellspring, it's his divinity that provides life for us. So at this well, Jacob could only draw water out of the well to provide for his family. And it was a testimony to the fact that God provides for Jacob. But Jesus himself, not only can he draw from this well, but he is the well for us. And so you and I, don't, we don't need to divorce ourselves from our gifts or our passions or our talents, but we have to redeem those things to the proper place and where it is that we really find our identity. You know, I think about several years ago when I, when I was working at a church in Nashville, and uh, the, the pastor that I was working under at the time said, okay, you know, at the beginning of this year, what are your desires? What do you want to see in your own personal ministry? And, and I've been wrestling for about five months with the desire to preach more. And I was finally had the courage to ask for it. And I said, I know, I know that my ego is going to be wrapped up in this. 
I know there's going to be the temptation for me to want to go out there and to be the best preacher I can and everybody fawn over like the amazing words I have and how I can research the Greek and the Hebrew. And, and I know that that's going to be part of my struggle. But I also know that I can't wait until I've like done away with all of that stuff before I step into what God's calling me to do. I would rather take the risk now, have a humble awareness of my natural tendencies as a human being to find my source and the praise of people for what I can offer them. But I'm going to do it and I'm going to cultivate it as I steward it along. And so it's been imperative for me in the gift of preaching to always be aware it's very normal and natural for me to want to find the source of my identity in my job or in my gifts or in my passions. But when I remain in that place of humility to go, no, 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 Jesus is my source. And when I get to preach, when I get to teach, when I get to counsel people, whatever it might be, that's the expression of the source that I have in God. And so we find Jesus's, or sorry, the lady's response to this in verse 25. She, the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. So again, she, she does what any of us do. She goes, well, who really knows what the truth is? The Messiah is going to come and he's going to sort it all out for us. And we'll just keep doing things as we're doing now. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And so she's brought into this moment by the Messiah. And then it continues on in verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So it's amazing this woman who is a Samaritan. She is kind of an outcast from her own village. She's going along with the status quo of just how the world is supposed to work. Jesus, because of his sensitivity and attention to her, has broken down all of those boundaries and invited her into relationship with him. And she becomes the very first evangelist. You see, she runs back to her people, the people that wouldn't give her any heed because of the lifestyle that she's chosen to live. And those things don't matter to her anymore. And she's welcoming people into this reality with Jesus. And I think that that's such a beautiful invitation for all of us to recognize what are, the, what are the social boundaries that we've put in place? What are the replacements for intimacy with God that we've established in our own lives that actually prevent us from not only engaging with God, but from engaging with one another? And for us to be inspired by this woman who was able to leave behind the well of her being a Samaritan, to leave behind the well of her being a social pariah, and to, to cross over and begin to pursue other people and welcome them into relationship with Jesus as the true source. Yeah, so... Now we're going to go into a little bit of a reflection time for a couple minutes. Um, and I just, like, as I was praying about this and just like the direction of what I felt like the Lord was wanting to do, I just felt this, like a lot of, like, a, basically it felt really challenging and kind of like uh, a little rough around the edges in a way, because what I really feel like God's trying, wants to do, it's not what he's trying to do. It's like what he's calling all of us to do and what he wants for us is, for us to like come solely to him and like all of the other things that we love to do or like whatever we enjoy that that comes from a place out of intimacy with him and not that be the source. And so I just really feel like for this reflection time to just really like press in to the Holy Spirit and ask the Lord, like what wells, what things have I put in place that I'm feeding from or like drinking from that are un like they're not unhealthy but apart from Jesus it's like not good because that's the source and so I just really feel like that's what the Holy Spirit wants to like lead everyone into and so I'm going to kind of just pray for a second and then we'll just get into a little reflection time so just press into the Lord um, and just be open to what he's going to tell you because it probably will be challenging so um God, I just, yeah, I just pray that your voice would be the primary voice that's heard, that your, that it would be come in with such a love, with such a peace, with such a comfort that it's undeniable that it's you, no matter what you're saying, that it is your voice that is the primary one that's being heard. And I just pray, God, that, that the hearts in the room would be receptive to that and would, would lift up and let go whatever things that they've been holding on to that you have been wanting to pour yourself into. Um, so I just thank you, God, and I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would, that you would speak to everyone here.
Yeah, Heavenly Father, we thank you that through Jesus, you don't bring condemnation, um, but you bring conviction that actually lifts us up, that frees us from idolatry. So, Father, would you continue to reveal to each of us where we have run to other sources to find our identity? Teach us how to, to lay those things at your feet, that you are in the business of smashing our idols, and so that we can find relationship with you here today. And then, Lord, the things that you've called us to do, they become this beautiful expression of you in us and us in you. Um, and that we see, Lord, the things that we do actually glorify you even more when they're in their right place. We see that our gifts and our talents and our passions and our skills, they all become a greater exploration of worshiping in spirit and truth when we know that those things do not define us, but they're the expression of the definition that you have for each of us as your children. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we look at, you know, the living water, that, that, that Jesus is this living water. He's the source of our identities um, and laying aside any of those things that we might falsely find our identity in. So now we're going to continue on with spiritual food. So this lady runs into her, her, her village and she's inviting everybody to come out and to see Jesus um, and to really experience the Messiah because they had those same prophecies that the Messiah was going to come, that he was going to redeem all the people of the world, and, and, and they kind of were excited to see that happen. Um, and so it can, goes on, and there's this, this is one of my favorite little passages in John because, again, we see uh, the disciples are starting to understand how Jesus works, but they still don't quite get it. And, and Jesus is going to say some more very confusing heavenly things, and they're going to answer with some more kind of ridiculous earthly things. So here we go. Verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? They're so cute, right? Just love these guys. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So remember we said with, with John, a lot of what we're, John is really passionate about is looking at these connections between the Father and the Son and the Son and the Spirit, looking at the connection between us and God and us and Jesus. And so we see here that for Jesus, um, when Jesus eats the spiritual food of obedience, it's his humanity that shows us how we're meant to function. That not only is God Jesus' source in, in, the, in the still place, but it's specifically when Jesus is obedient to do what God's called him to do, um, that he's kind of reinforced in his identity. And so if Jesus' divinity is the place of salvation, then Jesus' humanity shows us how we were actually meant to function as human beings. And I had said this several weeks before at Praxis, and it's really stuck with me um, since then. Obedience almost always precedes joy. Obedience almost always precedes joy. And this is very hard for us. Because we feel like we need the clouds to part. We need to see the handwriting in, in the sky. We need God to do something within us that awaken, like gives us so much happiness. And then we're going to be obedient to do the things that he's calling us to do. And sometimes that happens, right? I mean, I'm sure some of you have had that encounter where Jesus has just done something in your life and it's woken you up and you're like, oh my goodness, whatever you ask of me, I'm going to do. But I think so many times in our lives, it's, us, it's our willingness to be obedient to do what God's called us to do, especially when we don't feel like it. That actually becomes the breakthrough for us encountering real joy. In Ephesians 2, Paul writes this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so for you and I, God is calling us to work. He's calling us to do but we have to overcome this lie that says that when we do, inevitably, it's going to drain us. I've been in those church environments before where that ends up being what's communicated. You've got about 10 good years of ministry in you. You're going to work really hard, and it's going to drain you, and then you're going to burn out, and you're going to walk away. But that's a lie straight from the pits of hell, and we rebuke it in Jesus' name. We cancel that assignment. We were just we were watching these ridiculous videos earlier about... But anyway... <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but we have to recognize that doing the work of God sustains us. It doesn't drain us. If we understand that our source is in Christ, that's the key. When you and I begin to forget that God is the source of our identity, not what we do, then what we do starts to drain us. 
because it's not satisfying, because it doesn't help us to grow closer to him. So when we start to put our intimacy in our purpose, we find ourselves misaligned. But when we recognize that what we do is the, the, the outpouring of the intimacy that we have, it really gives us um, a better perspective. And so it's also important to recognize that you and I doing the will of God, it doesn't always feel a certain way. It's not always going to be the most rewarding thing ever. It's not always going to feel great. Um, and, but it's important for us to assess why we're doing the things that we do. Are we doing it as an expression of what God's called us to? Or are we doing it because we want to find our source in our work? Yeah. Um, when I read Ephesians 2.10, when me and Ryan were talking about this, I read it out of the Passion Translation, and I just love how it's worded. Um, so it says, We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the Anointed One. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to, to fulfill it. And so it's just like what we do, like the, the spiritual food, like our act of obedience, it's like that's good and that's going to like fulfill our destiny of like what God has planned for us from the beginning. Like we have such like, like God doesn't just think like, oh, I'm just going to create this person to just like sit and do desk work and like be pretty monotonous and boring but it's like yeah we have that as a job but God's created us with such like a destiny and such like a life fulfilled of dreams and like so many good things that he has for us that like yeah that may be our job but like outside of even in the job like I'll share a story later but that that pertains to that but it's like yeah he's just created us for such good things and I feel like as humans, we limit our ourself in that of like, oh, I can't do this. Like, I don't, I can't come up to that standard or I can't dream that big or I can't do this thing. But it's like, God is a big God and we're his children. So we're big children. Like we have big things ahead of us that we're supposed to be called into. Anyway, so I wanted to share this story about like the doing always doesn't feel a certain way. So I think. I guess either last week or the week before when I had my little like realization of not being hungry and kind of like I had like an internal freak out uh, more or less. Heather and I, wait, we were hanging out and she was like, let's ask God where like we should go out and do pray and like go find someone to pray for. And I was just like, I don't want to do that. Like, because that used to be such a rhythm of my life. That used to be so normal. And I would have been like, yes, let's do this. That sounds so awesome. But because that was a muscle I hadn't worked out in a long time, it was so, like, rough. Like, I was like, I don't want it to have anything to do with that. Um, but it was so sweet because, so, like, we get in the car and then we just both individually pray. And we're like, where did God tell us to go? It's like, make a right. And it's like, oh, he told me to make a right, too. And so, like, each time we would ask each other, like, what did God say? It was the same answer. And so it was just so sweet. And then so we get to, eventually he told us to go to Sanford and go to the, like, river, St. John's River, and, like, that sweet little downtown area of Sanford. And we got to pray for someone. But, like, the praying for someone wasn't even, like, the fun part. It was, like, for me, I realized that it was God reminding me who I was like, Oh, you can still hear, hear me correctly. Like you can still do this thing. Like you're still like super connected to me, Mark. Like you're not far off. You're not like falling off the wagon. Like you're still where you were before. And so it was just so sweet. But like, even though that was really sweet, it was so hard. Like it was so against the grain because I hadn't done it in so long. And so it's not going to be fun to do like be obedient to the Lord at first. But then after like you do it for so long and you, you're like, oh yeah this is awesome it like it comes out of a place of being joy like you don't even think about it being obedient you just are having so much fun doing it that it's like natural and normal so and i think it's important that we recognize that doing the work of the lord that's not the exclusive point of our entire lives that you know god has actually given us this ecosystem of work and rest and play and we see this i mean janet jesus shows us how to cultivate that ecosystem but that when we work, we work for the Lord and it brings us life. But we're called to rhythms of rest. This is why we have Sabbath. Um, and it's, then those become life-giving because we're slowing down. We're learning to be present with God. 
And then he also gives us these times of play, of celebration, of enjoying the goodness of life. And if we have that right mentality, all three of those things are life-giving. And we don't, we don't fall into this illusion that we work and that drains us. And then, you know, we get to the weekend and then it kind of disappears because we watched way too much Netflix and we wonder what happened. You know, where all of these things kind of, have you ever had those days where it was like a rest day and you feel more tired at the end of it than you did before? You know, but if, if we, the challenge for us is to properly align those three things in this like ecosystem of life in God where all of them are life-giving to us, that Jesus had his rhythms of prayer and going to church. Jesus had these rhythms of rest. Jesus had these rhythms of celebration. And he had these rhythms of work. And all of those things we have to trust were life-giving to him because he was connected from, to the Father from moment to moment. Yeah, so doing the Lord's will both satisfies and stirs up new hunger. And so... Um, I just I love this little excerpt of the Passion Translation of from verse 34, and it says, so like, there's so many funny things with Scripture of that like we're not aware of. Like, there's so many words that are in in the Bible that it's like the same word that depending on the context can mean like a hundred different things. And so like in that spot where it says, my food is to be doing the will of the Father. It's not actually the word for food. It's the word for nutrients, but it's a homonym. And so it also can be translated kingdom. So it's like doing the kingdom is my food that gives me nutrients, that sustains me. So it's like, it's just so funny. I love how that like Aramaic and anyway, anyway I get can like super geek out about that <laughs> stuff because I'm like, yes, this word means this and this. It's awesome. Um, so how... Do we learn to discipline, to stick to a new diet? It's like, man, like I was saying, it's like tough at first. It's really like against the grain because we're humans. And so like pressing into like the spiritual and like pressing into the things that are actually life-giving for us are so against our like human nature. And to really do that, like I, some practicals would be like weekly, daily, whatever like you want to do, however it meets for you, like pray the Lord and ask. But to make it a point to like pray daily or, or whatever, um, to bless people, to like give financially or like just be like, hey, you have a great smile, just encouraging, whatever. That's still like, like as simple as that may seem, that's still like you're bringing joy and bringing life to someone's day, which is like what God intends for people. It's like to be joyful, to have life, to be like live life abundantly. Um, and then to seek the Lord on behalf of others. Like I would frequently in quiet time, like press into the Lord and be like, God, do you have anything for this person? And then I would get like pictures and words and I would just write all that stuff down and then I would give it to them. And it'd be like, it would bless them like so much. It'd be so, sometimes it'd be accurate, sometimes it wouldn't. But like the point is just like, to that be a rhythm. Like obviously there's going to be points if you're like trying to practice like hearing from the Lord, that you'll probably get it wrong, but you're still doing it. It's like a muscle that you're practicing. Um, so doing that stuff, like stepping out, stepping out past ourselves, bring joy and fills us beyond what's imaginable. So like me, oh, I love this story. So I was, um, I think like a couple months ago, maybe two or three months ago, I went and saw Dr. Strange with some friends and coming, like was hanging out with them and then like coming back from like walking back to my house, I was walking past the movie theater and I've never had this comment said to me and it was so startling but it was so awesome and he's like some like high school kid was like yo man nice bun i'm like thanks to like i my you're like which one <laughs> <laughs> so my natural like just so intuitively and naturally i was like thanks man jesus loves you can i pray for you guys and there was like 10 high school kids and like they all were like and ran like ran away except for one and he's like yeah i would love if you prayed for me i'm like sweet what do you want prayer for and he's like i don't know and i could see him like fidgeting and like doing some weird thing to his back i'm like does your back hurt he's like yeah it's in a lot of pain i'm like well let's pray jesus is gonna heal you right now and i just like it was just so natural for me to do this like it didn't I don't know how it happened. Like, I didn't even think twice. I was just like, I'm going to pray for you guys. 
they ran, prayed for this kid. His <laughs> his back gets like the first time I pray, he's like, Oh, it's a little bit better. I'm like, Well, what is it on like a scale? He's like, Eh, like a four, whatever. I'm like, Okay, let's do it again. You're gonna get healed. And then he gets healed. And then the kids come back and he's telling them about it and they're like asking me questions like, Are you a Christian? What's like all these religious things, which is funny. They're trying to like divert. Um, which I didn't even think about until just now. Um Whoa. <laughs> mic drop. Um so then the kid, like, this is the so funny. He's like the other kid that didn't get healed yet, he gets healed at some point. He's like, Hey man, can I get your number? Can you pray for me like when I have to take a test or something at school? I'm like <laughs> it doesn't normally work like that, but sure, I'll pray for you. And so like exchange numbers and then he was like the whole time, I'm just like, Jesus loves you guys so much. I'm just, like, encouraging them and blessing them and just, like, speaking life over them. And then at one point, the kid who asked me for my number was like, yeah, I can't see super well. I'm like, well, what's wrong with your eye? He's like, well, I'm, like, kind of blind and, col- like, colorblind, all these things. I'm just like, well, let's pray. He just healed your friend's back. Let's pray for your eye. Your eye's going to get healed. And I was like, hey, we'll just say the kid's name was John. I was like, John, put your hand on your friend. And so, like, he put his hand on his friend. I put my hand on him, and we prayed. His eye got better the first time. Prayed again. His eye was completely healed. And, oh. yeah. <laughs> Woo! Um, so, and then it was just so, like, awesome. And then they called me, like, as soon as, like, a little bit later, and they're like, hey, man, we lost our friend. He's downtown. Like, he's skating somewhere. We don't know where he is. Can you pray for us to find him? And I was like, yeah, totally. And so I pray, and they call me back like 30 minutes later. They're like, as soon as we got off the phone with you, we found him. And it's like, I was like, yes, this is awesome. And so, like, for me, it just being so natural. Like, if those kids end up, like, I haven't talked to them in a while, but if, like, they become, like, believers, they have such, like, a foundation and a standard now that, like, prayer is instant. So if they started becoming, like, pursuing Jesus, it's like they're going to have such a solid expectation of, like, oh, I'm going to pray. It's going to happen. And so, like, that's so awesome. And it just came out of me naturally doing it and, like, walking away. I was, like, so joyful and so happy, and I was so, like, full, and it was amazing. Um, Yeah, so next thing, um, fulfilling our purpose reinforces our intimacy and identity. And so, like, that exact story, like, me doing that reinforced, like, in me of, like, who I am, what am I called to, what do I do, what do I love to do, how does this brings life to my, like, heart, and so figuring that thing out is just, like, so awesome to get to know who we are and, and what we love to do, and, like, you don't have to just pray for people, like, I'm not trying to limit what you can do, like, everyone's different, everyone has their own gifts, their own talents, their own ways that they experience life with the Lord, so I just encourage everyone to press into that and, like, go on a, a little journey with the Lord of like, what brings me joy? What fills me up? How can I like do kingdom or whatever? Um, do you want to talk about yeah, the next thing? Sure. Um, so, and, and is that not so, so much the backwards kingdom of God? You know, we live in a culture that we can say is a consumerist culture, which is that we come into a group of people expecting to get something out of it. And I think it's, it's tragic when our perspective of relationship with God or our perspective with church is like, oh, well, I wasn't getting fed at that place. Uh, and we live out of that consumerist mentality that my primary purpose to be here is that I'm supposed to get something out of it. And so, you know, I'm going to go to this church because they've got better preaching and I'm going to go to this church because they've got better worship and, and all of these things. And, and I, you know, it's, it's unfortunate when we never grow out of that consumerist mentality that all I'm here to do is get all these things added on to me. And then when they're added on to me, then maybe I'll go seek the kingdom of God. See, this is the backward sense of the kingdom, is that we are fed when we feed. We, we are fed when we feed the church. We are fed when we feed the people that are outside the walls of the church. And there's something in that that gives us life, not because what we do is the source of our life, but because it gives us a deeper context for intimacy with God. And so, you know, even a couple of weeks ago, again, I had said giving makes us less selfless and more in the image of a generous God. And it's selfless people who prosper because we look more like God. And we have to understand that it becomes this, this give and take exchange with the kingdom. But it starts a lot of times with us being willing to give, even when we think that we don't have anything. That's the place that we begin to give out of faith. 
And so we're going to finish up. So Jesus is speaking here and he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And you can almost hear the excitement in Jesus's voice in this next part of the passage as all of these Samaritans from this village are coming out to meet him as Messiah. So he says to his disciples, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. And so perhaps what Jesus is talking about here is that the sowing was through the whole story of the prophets up until John the Baptist, that God has been laying the foundation for bringing the Messiah who is going to rescue not only Israel, but the whole world. And now it's the, it's the tenants of the Messiah. It's the, 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 the brothers and the sisters of the Messiah that are able to go out and to do that kind of work. But when we work with purpose, we are sustained and we thrive. Um, I was, I was in the library a couple days ago and I was, kind of working on some things. You know, when you get to that place, you start going cross-eyed because you've been staring at a computer for like eight hours. So I went out back of our building just to kind of get a little bit of sun, a little bit of air, and I was watching our bees. You know, we still have our bees out there. Um, and I'm just watching them go back and forth and they're doing their thing. And, um, and they're so busy. You know, we talk about busy like busy as bees and sometimes we use that in the negative connotation. But I'm watching these bees and I'm just kind of like in prayer with the Lord. Like, okay, Lord, what are you speaking to me here? And he said, these bees work with purpose. And that gives them, that sustains them all throughout the day. That bees don't go out and just wander around aimlessly. They don't put their, not hands or feet, their legs. Yeah, whatever. They don't put their little feelers and wings and stuff to things that don't matter. Because they're doing exactly what God created them to do, right? And that's how bees worship. That's how all of creation worships. It does exactly what God was creating it to do, the work it was called to do. And so these bees have purpose and it sustains and thrives them. And you and I, more often than not, we either wander around aimlessly without purpose or when we do work, we're doing, we put our hands and our hearts to work that doesn't matter. And then we wonder why we're drained. We wonder why we're burned out. And there's a dramatic difference between getting to the end of the day and you're exhausted, but there's joy because you know the Lord's work through you and getting to the end of the day and you're exhausted and you feel just empty. And so it's important for us to, to do the work of asking the Lord, the things that you're calling me to do, am I actually even doing those things? Am I stepping into what you've called me to do with purpose and with a desire to see the intimacy that I have with you fleshed out in my action? Because that's going to be the thing that sustains us and thrives. And so I think the final thing that we can kind of draw from this uh, final passage here is we have to see the kingdom harvest the way that Jesus does. Because Jesus was able to perceive the heavenly reality as well as the earthly reality. Um, he had so much excitement. He says, the harvest, I wish you, I wish you could see the harvest. I wish you could see how ready this field is to be brought into the Father's house. And you and I, that's the thing, that inspiration when we can see what God's up to in the world around us and we get to participate in that, that level of excitement that comes that we have to cultivate, but that becomes the place um, where we're also sustained and given hope for the things that we do. Yeah. And so just the last thing Ryan wanted me to talk about, um, like he said earlier, my group called Entwined, um, which has been going on since August. And I just started with this like passion or this like desire to see. It, it started with like the area around the church to be, to know Jesus, like for this area around like Lake Ivanhoe to, to know who God is and to know who like, who they are in light of what God's saying about them. And just like, so I'm just going to read like our vision and our like mission. Um, so the vision for Entwined is to see the region immediately surrounding City Beautiful transformed by a continuous intentional outreach of love and revelation of Jesus. So just like at first it was like supposed to go business to business and just like sharing and like being able to volunteer or love on people and pray or whatever that looked like. Um, and so our mission is to create and grow a team of individuals who regularly pursue the spreading of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, into the area surrounding City Beautiful. And so, 
like with that that would be like the outreach component of entwined but there's very much like a super intentional spending time together each week of whether it's a family dinner whether it's like us praying for each other or us like doing silly family bonding games um where it's just like we grow as a as a family and so it just the purpose of like that was to be much more cohesive so when we went out to do outreach and just like do the fulfilling our purpose or like bringing kingdom um it would be so much more smooth and natural and and like not forced and so yeah that's great cool and so that's wednesdays wednesdays 7 p.m 7 p.m okay yeah Right. So if you're, and you're always welcoming people into that process too. So if you're interested in like, that's a really great place to learn what we've been talking about today. Um, so let's all stand and we want to enter into a time of worship uh, by taking part in these two sacred acts that God's called us to, which are um, in communion and coming to the Lord's table in order to be fed. Uh, and then also giving of our finances, our tithes and offerings to continue to fuel the work of the kingdom. So I'm going to go ahead and invite um, the people that are going to be serving you to come forward. And I just want you to close your eyes and we're going to, and we're just going to pray. Um, you know, several times in the scriptures, it tells us that, you know, the importance of our, of our hearts being in an open and honest place with the Lord before we come to his table. I mean, that's just so that we, we really can allow ourselves to be fed uh, by this spiritual food, um, the, the food and drink, the body and blood of Jesus. And so, Lord, we, again, we come before you open-handed. Father, if there are um, idols in our lives, things that we've been looking to for our source that are continuing to keep us from intimacy with you, that prevent us from coming to your table, of being sustained by you, of being fed by you, Lord, we lay those things at your feet. Whatever it is that you revealed to us earlier in the reflection, Father, we hand those things over to you. We're done with them. We want to worship the one true living God. We want to worship you in spirit. We want to worship you in truth. And so, Father, as we come forward um, to take part in the body and blood of Jesus, we pray that it would sustain us so that when we go out to do the work you've called us to do, we see in us living out our created purpose that it reinforces intimacy with you. It reinforces our identity as your children, as the reflection of your image into a world that's crying out for relationship. And so, Father, as we continue to worship, we give you permission to move in us and through us that we would be brought to life in this place. And we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.